Our first scripture reading today is the 54th Psalm. It is Psalm 54. Come with great power, O God, and rescue me. Defend me with your might. Listen to my prayer, O God. Pay attention to my plea. For strangers are attacking me. Violent people are trying to kill me. They care nothing for God. But God is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. May the evil plans of my enemies be turned against them. Do as you promised and put an end to them. I will sacrifice a voluntary offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For you have rescued me from my troubles and helped me to triumph over my enemies. The word of God. Uh, our scripture reading, second scripture reading today is in James chapter 3. Uh, we're looking at verses uh, 13 on to chapter 4, verse 3, and then skipping over to 7 and 8 in chapter 4. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant the seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. The word of God. Our gospel reading today is from Mark chapter 9 verses 30 through 37. Leaving that region they traveled through Galilee, Jesus didn't want anyone to know that he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of the enemy. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in the house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing? out there on the road. And they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which one was the greatest. He sat down and called the twelve over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and become servant to everyone. And when he put a little child among them, taking the child in his arms, and he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also the Father. That sent me the word of the Lord. 
So we find ourselves at the, at the beginning of this text in the place that we often find the disciples in the Gospel of Mark, and that is confused. Over the last several weeks, we've been in the last couple passages of the Gospel of Mark, and the disciples are consistently confused, confused about what Jesus is doing and confused about what they're doing. And so we find them confused in this text, one, because Jesus says, hey, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back in three days, and that confuses them. And so they're in a state of confusion, and then they're in a state of um, argumentativeness, because they're on the road um, back to Capernaum to meet Jesus, and they're squabbling over who's the greatest. You know, that childhood, schoolyard argument, who's the greatest among us? Now, some of you know, and you if you didn't know, you could obviously tell by the time you saw my children this morning that we spent a couple days at the beach this week. Um, Winnie is very sunburned. Um, but we spent a couple days at the, we- at the beach this week, and so I have heard my fair share of sibling squabbling, not unlike the disciples on the road. See, the thing that my kids wanted to play with while we were there is we had these large alligator clips that I used to clip um, the beach towel to the beach chair and um, so we had those and that is what my children wanted to fight over is who got what color and who got to play with them now we were at the beach right so we had sand buckets and boogie boards and surf and infinite plays place so you could play forever and you could keep going we had new friends a couple umbrellas down that their children were stair step just like ours so we had play places and people but that is not what they wanted to play with And that is not what they wanted to argue about. They wanted to play with and argue about the color of some utilitarian object that I honestly just found as like a life hack on Pinterest that I thought it was cute. Um, So that's what my kids wanted to argue about. But the disciples find themselves in basically the same space, right? They've been hanging out with the Messiah. They've been experiencing signs and wonders and miracles. They're with the Christ, And what do they choose to argue about? They choose to argue about who's the greatest. They choose to argue about who gets to be Muhammad Ali. Like they, that's what they want to do, right? They want to argue about some schoolyard question. So Jesus then does the most parental thing that I think Jesus does in all of the Gospels. Basically equivalent to, well, if you're going to fight over it, it, then nobody gets it. Like if you're going to fight over it, no one gets this. And that's what he does to them. He said, oh, you're going to fight over who's going to be the greatest? Well, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. Whoever is first will be last. And then you'll become a servant to all. See, in this moment, Jesus is inviting them to look beyond themselves and into a life of service. That's what he's asking the disciples in that moment. I think so often nowadays when we talk about a life of service, we almost always think about it in like a monastic sense. Like, if I'm going to have to have a life of service, then obviously I have to take not only a vow of poverty, but a vow of silence. I put on sackcloth and ashes, and I have to go scrub floors in a monastery somewhere, whether you're Catholic or not. You just find one, right? Or maybe to you, a life of service and putting yourself last means missionary work in an extremely poor country overseas that takes you hours and hours to get there. Or maybe in your mind, a life of service is simply vocational ministry. But the way we think about this is not because we are putting the missionary and the monk on a pedestal, but we use it as an excuse, right? 
an, an excuse to say that if this, what, if this is what it means to put myself last, if this is what it means to live a life of service, then obviously it is too difficult for the common man. Obviously it is only attainable for the few, and it is obviously not a requirement for me. I like that part. I can excuse it away, right? But no, he might not be calling us to a vocation of ministry, but what he has always called all of us to is a vocation of hospitality. He is saying to the confused and haughty disciples in that moment, what I really want you to do is think of yourself less and think of others more. Now, when someone comes over to my home, the first thing I do, probably after saying excuse the mess, because that's what I'm always initially going to say, excuse the mess, is I'm going to offer somebody something to drink, right? That, that to me, is just ingrained Southern hospitality. I'm going to say, uh, do you want a cup of water? Do you, I have coffee already brewing. Do you want some tea? And then the next thing that I do normally, and I'm sure all of you do, is please take a seat. Everybody sit down. There's no reason to stand. We don't have to talk. Maxine comes by sometimes. We live three or four doors down from Maxine, and she'll come by, and she wants to stand, like, in the breezeway. And I'm like, please, just sit. Everybody come. Let's all sit down. That's what I'm going to do. And if you're there long enough, and we've had our coffee, and we're sitting on the couch, and we've been there a minute, I'll probably say, are you cold? I have a whole, th- actually, two, three baskets full of blankets. And I want to give you a blanket, because I like to do that. My kids like to do that. They lay on the couch with blankets. I'm going to offer you, if you're at my house long enough, I'm going to offer you a blanket out of my large basket of blankets. Now, do I do this because I am some impeccable host? Absolutely not. I'm not a great host. That's that's not what the point is. The point is, is I just want to be hospitable. When you come into my house, as many of you have, I just want you to enjoy to be in my home. I want you to feel like it's your home too. I want you to feel loved and cared for. I want you to feel like you can drop in and have a cup of coffee. I want you to feel embraced there. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's just extending it outside of our homes and into our world. He is saying to truly show the world the love and the hospitality of Jesus. You can't just show hospitality to the people that enter your home, but you're going to have to become a servant to all. We're going to have to show people the love of Jesus by not just offering that cup of water to that person in our home, but to that homeless man that we see on the way to work every day. He deserves a cup of water too. If we're truly going to show people the love of Jesus in this world, we can't just offer a seat at the table to people that look or act or smell like us. But what we're really going to have to do is believe that the table of the Lord knows no bounds, that it has no restrictions, and that we can't restrict it by status or class or race or gender. We have to open it up to all people, to everyone. Our call to hospitality demands that we find water for the thirsty and a seat for the stranger and a warm place to rest for the cold and the downtrodden. We must become the servant to all. Now that's easy to write on paper, right? It's simple to declare from a pulpit. It sounds really nice from behind this space. And it would probably get a resounding yes if we voted on it as like a mission statement or a doctrinal decree, everyone would say, yes, that is the purpose and the mission of Jesus Christ. But Lord, it's the practice, right? It's the practice that always hangs us up just a little bit. And it's not that we don't believe it. 
Because I truly believe we do. But I'm reminded about the words that Corey just read from James. And it says, and James basically says, do you want to mess up your life? This is how you mess up your life. You pursue envy and selfish ambition because that will bring disorder and wickedness to your life. So it's not that I don't believe Jesus. It's that my selfishness so often just gets in the way. I believe the words of Jesus, but often when I pass that homeless guy at the corner of Sam Cooper, if y'all go to the zoo a lot, you might know what I'm talking about, but the corner of the Sam Cooper and East Parkway, there's always a homeless man, perpetually. He lived the different guy, I guess. But he's there all the time, and there's someone there. And oftentimes, I try to see before I give the guy five bucks and a bottle of water if that's the same guy that I gave five bucks and a bottle of water to last week. And because obviously my five bucks and a Costco bottle of water is so life-changing that it shouldn't be the same man that was there last week, right? It should be a different guy. My arrogance, right? My own arrogance often hinders my hospitality, my service to all, my judgment of those on the street. My selfishness with my time is absolutely the only thing that keeps me from working in a food pantry regularly. We have friends that run Manor House downtown. The only reason I'm not there on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons, which is a a break of time where I have free in my life, the only reason I'm not there is because I'm selfish with my time, right? I, I, I hoard my time. Serving others is essential to our Christianity, though. Our dear friend Peter would probably pop up in this moment and remind us that helping others is not solely a Christian attribute, right, Tina? He loved to remind us that. Well, no, you can do that. You don't have to be a Christian. And while he might be right, you don't have to be a Christian to serve. The texts in James and Mark's remind us it's hard to be a Christian and not serve and not perform these acts of service to our fellow man. But what does that look like practically? What does putting others before ourselves look like on a day-to-day? If it's not missionary work, does that mean I have to go work in the food pantry? Is that what I'm telling you from the pulpit this morning, is that all of you need to go work in the food pantry? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. That's not my point this morning. But what I do know is that service begins with those closest to us, and then it flows out from there. If I'm not speaking to my husband with kindness, then how can I expect myself to speak kindness and kindness to flow out of me to those around me, to my neighbor. If I'm not putting the needs of my children above my own, then how can I expect to do that to the foreigner and to the stranger and to those that I don't know that well? And if I'm not serving the needs of the people in this congregation to those closest to me, how can I expect that desire to serve just to pop up inside of me at the grocery store or with my coworkers? It's probably not. Hospitality has to become a discipline in our closest lives to flow out to those around us. Jesus wants us to serve all people, people that live in our house, people that live down the street, and people that live across the globe. But in this passage in Mark, right, right after he says that, he grabs this little kid and he tells them this, and he says, whoever welcomes the children, well, they have welcomed me and the one who sent me. Again, reinforcing this idea of welcoming and hospitality and service to the disciples. And I read a lot of commentaries on this this week, and almost all of them said, well, this child is being used as a symbol. 
is being used to tell us to welcome the innocent and the vulnerable. And that is a beautiful idea and a beautiful picture of the gospel, but it made me think that the writers of these commentaries hadn't met many children, or at least my children, because innocent and vulnerable wouldn't be the first thoughts that I had about my kids. This week at the beach, Corey sat in the sand and built sand castles with the girls. And um, he kind of did this kind of elaborate thing. They had a moat and they had some deep stuff. But by the end of it, they were really high and they were really cool. By the end of that 20 or 30 minutes of them working on this, Winnie, my two-year-old, just jumped all over them. Like she just went up and just like Godzilla smashed the whole place, right? She jumped all over it. And although Corey wouldn't admit it, I could tell he was slightly frustrated, right? Because he, it, sandcastles might be a child's game, but he worked on that. But this must be where our supernatural hospitality that Jesus is requiring of us comes into play. One where we consistently build and serve for our neighbor, no matter how often it just gets stepped on. I'm going to say that again because I don't think everyone heard me. This must be where supernatural hospitality comes in. One where we consistently build and serve our neighbor no matter how often it gets stepped on. Jesus is saying when you hold children close, you're holding me close. So may we hold close and perpetually serve those that don't seem like they deserve it. Those that don't appreciate our sandcastles. Yes, the innocent. Yes, the vulnerable. But also the frustrated, the annoying, the unrepentant, those consistently asking, those that are a drain. May we continue to serve all. May we continue to serve our neighbor and our enemy. Those we love and those we need to learn to love. May we become the servant to all. Let us pray.